You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. Uh, There should be one nearby to you, and we want you to be able to have God's Word uh, in your hands, seeing it for yourself. Um, Genesis chapter 1. Today we are at the very beginning of the Bible, so uh, it should be really easy to find Genesis chapter 1. Just get past all the introductory stuff that's in the Bible, and it's right there at the beginning, the very beginning of God's story, and when you begin a story, it's good to have a plan. Wouldn't you agree? Like, have you ever talked to the guy who begins a story and doesn't have a plan? And he's just a complete rambler? And so the story maybe begins about him telling you about the, the restaurant that he just ate at the other night. And, um, and then he gets sidetracked and he tells you about what he ate. But then that makes him get sidetracked to tell you about the spiciest thing that he ever ate which then leads him to start going into all of the gastrointestinal problems that he has and how he can't eat spicy things anymore. And you're all of a sudden like, how did we get here? Like, what were we talking about? Where did this story begin? Good stories require a plan, especially if they're going to be complex and and satisfying and and even more so if they're true stories. If we're going to understand the point of a story, then we need to understand the plan. And today we're going to see that God's story is an incredibly complex, incredibly satisfying, true story that starts with a very intentional purpose, even right from the opening words. Like think about a good novel that you've read that that has a good opening words. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Or, or, Or maybe more applicable for today, maybe a true autobiography good story is going to communicate why it's important for you to hear the story. Katie's been having a hard time getting into books lately because like, she just get it, gets into them and she's like, I don't know why I'm reading this. Well, that's on the author, right? A good story communicates why you should be reading. And there may be sometimes throughout the story when we're like, like wait a minute, where is this going again? Like, I've got to get back. But, but the plot is always going to make it back to the plan that, God, that is set out in the beginning. And, and God sets out that plan in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. That God would glorify Himself in His creation as He relates to humanity. So that's why it's so important that we get what we're about to study today right. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, we get to see the beginning of the story of literally Everything. There's nothing in heaven and on earth besides God Himself that doesn't start right here. And that's a pretty meaningful couple of chapters, wouldn't you agree? Like, like I think it's kind of important that we see this. Today's the first day in our series, God's Story, My Story. And over the next 13 weeks, we're going to be working our way from Genesis to Revelation through the high points of the story of the Bible. And the goal is that you would be able to find your place in God's unfolding story of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's our vision statement, that you would find your place in God's unfolding story of salvation through Jesus Christ. And I mean that in two ways. Uh, One, that you would be able to find your place wherever you are in the Bible. 
uh, that you would be able to see uh, how every part of the Bible has as its ultimate fulfillment, Jesus Christ, that it's all pointing us there, that it's all fitting together. But I also mean that experientially, that you would find your place in God's story, that you would be able to answer the question, how has God written me into His story? Because our stories are part of a greater story of God that He tells us through His Word that we call the Bible. It's one story with one beautiful plan full of suspense and drama and redemption. And it starts like any good story, establishing the themes and the purposes in the opening words. And so as we launch into this series today, I want you to see that your story begins with a good God who created everything by His Word. Your story begins with a good God who created everything by His Word. We're going to work our way through the first two chapters of the Bible today. If that sounds long, it is. And I want us to start by focusing in on the first ten words of our English translations because with out of doubt, they are the most important words ever written. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here is where we need to start today. Your story, your story, begins with a good God. Your story begins with a good God. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, man. Not in the beginning, the environment. Not in the beginning, Mother Nature. Not in the beginning, primordial ooze. In the beginning, God. The story is about God. History is about God. It begins and it ends in God. He's the one who always was. He's the one who is. He's the one who will be. And He is the God who created. We are not the product of chance. We are not the result of basic chemical elements morphing together into incredibly complex and intelligent creatures. We are far too complex to have just happened. We say it this way, design demands a designer. So think about this. I read this this week to my kids in this uh, cool devotional book called Indescribable by Louis Giglio. It's, a, it's about science. And he, he talks about how at five months in your mother's womb, there's something magnificent that happened in your eyes. That over one million nerve endings in your eyeballs met up with over one million nerve endings that were coming for your, from your brain, and they all fused together perfectly. I just put that into you know, other terms. Think about the wiring in your house. And what if you had to wire your entire house, and you had one million wires on one side, all in this tight little compartment, and you had to fuse them together with one million wires on the other side, or your house would burn down. You don't want that, right? You, you don't want that kind of pressure. And, and, and all of this just happens inside an eyeball at five months. 
And you want to tell me that that evolved that way? That, that, that it just kind of eventually became that way based on some chemicals bumping into each other and creating life. And it, Design demands a, a designer. It screams designer. And it absolutely requires to, faith to believe that God created I, I'm not denying that at all. It absolutely requires faith. This is essential to the Christian faith, but it also requires a ton of faith, and I would suggest more unreasonable faith to believe that everything came from nothing on its own. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He's saying that God spoke by His Word everything out of nothing. The intricacies of the universe demand our faith in a Creator. And the Bible reveals that that Creator is good. He is holy. He is completely other than His creation because He's the only one who is not created. And yet He is deeply interested in what He has made. And He reveals Himself to His creatures. Your story begins with a good God. This sets up one of the most important and essential realities in all of the story, that there is a massive distinction between creation and creator. That is one of the most important things that you can understand about the Bible, that there is a massive distinction between the creation and the creator. God is the God who created everything out of nothing, the theological term is in the Latin, ex nihilo, out of nothing. In the beginning, God. He existed when the earth did not. He existed when the heavens did not. Everything is nothing without Him. Everything is nothing without Him. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe that God created, then I'd love to have a conversation with you about that later. I really do. I just want to take the time with you and talk to you. I don't want to talk at you. I want to talk with you. But just humor me for a moment, okay? Consider what it would mean if that were true. And if you do believe in God, I want you to think about what does it mean for Him to be Creator? What does it mean for God to be the Creator? It means, first of all, that, that He knows what is best for His creation. Because He designed it. He knew what, how He wired it. It means that He is personally invested in the outcome of His creation. Think about something that you create. You're personally invested in the outcome of that. It means that He owns and has Creator's rights on everything that He's created. It means that He has incredible power that His creation does not. And ultimately, it means that He alone is to be worshipped above all things. Psalm 96 says it this way, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in 
His sanctuary. The Lord made the heavens. If God is the creator, it means that He is our creator. And our stories begin and end with Him. That means when you're thinking about your origins and and all of the experiences that you've had in your past from the time you were born up until now, it doesn't start with the experiences themselves. Your story doesn't start with all of the bad things that happened to you. Your story doesn't start with, with all of the good things that happened to you. Your story starts with God Himself. With a God who created you and the world in which you live. With a God who has a good and perfect design for your life. It means that that when you're thinking about your environment and the fact that you live in this particular corner of the world, looking at the surroundings that you look at every day, it's all about God. It means that ultimately your story has as its end goal the glory of the God who created. It means that God is deserving of every breath you breathe because He is the one who gave you that breath. Isn't He good to give us life? The creation shows us the goodness of God. And I want you to see this in chapter 1 itself. I'm going to actually read a longer portion of the chapter here than we normally do um, at one time. And so, so as you listen, I want you to pay attention to the poetry of it, to the beauty of it. Pay attention to the words that are repeated. Pay attention to the repetition that's interrupted at times. Read with me, looking in your Bibles, at Genesis 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in the which there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth to rule over the day 
and over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, which with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creeping things that creep, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let's stop there for now. God said, God said, God said, it was good, and it was good, and it was good. God's creation was good. The, the word good means beneficial for flourishing, and it's good because He's the one that created it. And every part of His good creation is the direct result of His creative word. Which brings us to the second part of our big idea today. Uh, Your story begins with a good God who created everything by His Word. God created everything by His Word. Everything. Everything. There is not one thing that we encounter on a daily basis that does not have its origin in the verses of Genesis 1 and 2. That is mind-boggling to me. Anything that humans created was made out of a source that God created in the first week. Everything I see and experience comes right back here. Now, we're talking about the Bible as a story, right? And so in chapters 1 and 2, we get everything that we need for the story of redemption. We get everything that we need for a good story. And so I want us to think about it in this way. We get, we get the setting, the characters, the plot, the drama, all right here. And so that's how I want us to consider chapters 1 and 2 for the rest of this sermon. And we're going to start with the setting. The setting is the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? In Jewish thought, the heavens are everything that's in the sky, that's not on the ground, on the earth. And then there's the earth and everything that's in it. And as I read this, I don't know what goes through your mind or what you picture, but I think of an artist who has a paintbrush or a chisel, except that God's chisel or paintbrush is His Word. And whatever He says appears and and moves into place. I think of an author that's painting a word picture in our minds, but, but instead of describing what is already visible so that the and what the reader has already seen so that the reader can see it in his mind's eye, the, the author is actually describing yet what is invisible so that it actually comes to be. 
I think of a movie director with this artistic vision within himself calling for order and symmetry and beauty and putting the whole scene into its place. God creates the environment in which everything exists and then He creates the things that inhabit, that make up that environment. And we don't have time today to go into all the details of the creation, uh, but I want to give you, I want you to see that the setting of our day-to-day lives all comes back to this one chapter. It all comes back to this one chapter. So just think about the setting of your life. You, you wake up in the morning to a bright light shining through the, a crack in your curtain. Or maybe for some of you, that light doesn't come until you're already in your work truck, but you get the point. And that's the light that God separated from darkness on day one. You breathe in the fresh air of the atmosphere that God created on day two. You pour yourself a glass of water or you drink a cup of coffee strained from the waters that God separated from the waters above in the clouds to the waters beneath. And He separated them on that same day, day two. You step out of your house and you put your foot down on dry land that God separated from the seas on day three. As you walk to your car, you pass trees and plants and you maybe even bite into an apple that He also created on day three. As you drive, you you put your sunglasses on to shield your eyes from the sun that that God charged to govern the daytime. And later that night, you're going to see moon and stars the nearest star being over two quadrillion miles away. And all of that happened on day four. You drive across creeks, swarming with fish that are so insignificant that you don't even think about them. And you go about your day-to-day, not even hearing the birds that are singing that God created on day five. You pass squirrels and dogs and cows and horses pulling Amish buggies. And you talk to people who God made in His image. All on day six. Understand, the setting of the story of your life begins with a God who created all of it. The earth, the land, it is the place that God established to dwell with His people. And that that it would be the place where you meet with God as your God and you live out your life of faith as a child in Him. We can go about our days completely oblivious to that fact. Mindlessly consuming the creation without any thoughts of why it exists. Or We can choose to enjoy the Creator as we enjoy His creation. We can allow everything that we see to remind us that there is a Creator and our stories begin and end with Him. Remember, one of our goals in this series is that we would have a biblical worldview. That we would see the world around us through God's eyes, through through the eyes of His Word, the glasses of His Word. And, And that starts by recognizing that He created the heavens and the earth, everything around us. Our our response to the creation, to the setting of our life, should be the same as David's response that John read earlier in Psalm chapter 8, Psalm Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man, that you care for Him. I was telling Zane and Mallory earlier and Marianne, like, we, we, I was walking in this morning to this perfectly clear sky, probably the clearest sky that I have ever seen in my entire life. And I got to see more stars probably this morning than I ever did. It was God's gift to me, I, I believe it, as I got in to preach this part of His Word. And it was awesome, and it was wonderful, and it stirred up worship in my heart. and made me feel so small to recognize how large He is and how glorious He is. And we can so miss that sometimes, can't we? but oh, to recognize it and to savor that moment. Not for our own, but for Him. You have this vast expanse, and yet we see that mankind is actually created as the pinnacle of His creation. Like I, I would think, like, stars, like, that's a pretty big thing, like, that seems like the pinnacle, but no, no. It's all driving forward to day six when mankind is created. And here we see the main characters of the story. So we have the setting, now we have the, the characters, God and mankind in God's image. The characters are God and mankind in God's image. Again, it starts with God. Notice the differences right out of the gate in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Which is so different than what we've read earlier. Um, the more impersonal parts of creation. Let there be lights. Let the waters swarm. Let the earth be filled. And it's also not, let us make man according to its own kind. Like we see repeated with the, with the different creatures, like according to their kind, according to their kind, according to their kind. No, this is the personal. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And so we have God, and then we have mankind created in God's image, and, and He creates them as two distinct genders. Male and female. I find that so fascinating that it's right here at the very beginning of the story. He creates their bodies, as we'll see in chapter 2, in distinct and complementary ways. And He creates them for complementary purposes. And here's the beauty. Both man and woman are created fully in the image of God. The fact that you were born a biological male or a biological female is part of what it means for you to express the image of God in the way that He created you. I remember a couple weeks ago, Sarah Cope sharing a testimony about how she was talking to a friend, and I just love what she said to that friend. I don't believe God makes mistakes. It's so loving. <laughs> and that's why it's so important that we do not lose sight of God's definition of those things when the culture wants to redefine them. And even if your own emotions and your own understandings are causing feeling, uh, feelings of confusion about them. God created male and female in His own image and He does not make mistakes. And you can seek Him. And you can seek Him in the midst of that confusion because it's not His design for you to live in confusion either. Ultimately, our gender is part of how we bear the 
image of God in our lives. And so then what does that mean for man and woman to be created in God's image? I'll I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are little gods. It, It doesn't mean that we are divine like God in our being. That we just have to tap into this divine aura inside of us. That we just need to have more faith in ourselves. No, no, it means that we are a reflection. We are a, a, like a mirror to the real thing. We display the beauty of the glory of God in who He created us to be. And there's a lot of explanations about what the image of God does mean, but it probably means a broad variety of things. Because God is very complex, isn't He? And we could only expect that being created in His image would be a rather complex idea. That it would have far-reaching implications in our lives. And so, I want us to look at six ways that we bear the image of God. I'm not claiming that these are like the exhaustive list or anything like that. But first, we are created with physical capacity. We're created with physical capacity. Now, the Bible is very clear that God is spirit. But it is also clear that He operates in a physical world. That He created a physical world. That He created time and space and matter. And that that is is not outside of what it means to be created in His image. And we operate within that time and space and matter. In real bodies, in real time. We already talked about how that impacts human sexuality. But it also impacts any physical body issue. I know, I know the women spent a lot of time talking about a lot of those things over the summer. Your physical personhood is part of you being created in the image of God. Your physical body is not something to be worshipped and obsessed over in itself. Don't be obsessing over how you look or your sexuality or whatever that is. It's meant to be used To glorify God. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Glorify God in your bodies. He said. Offer your body. As a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. So we are created with physical capacity. Second we're created with a relational capacity. God is one God in three persons. And so he did not need mankind in order to show His perfect love, His perfect glory. He had perfect fellowship from eternity past with Himself. Isn't that awesome? And so He created man in His image to be relational. Jesus prayed that His church would be one as He and the Father are one. He made man and woman in the garden to become one. One flesh as an expression of the unity of relationship that exists in the Trinity. Third, we're created with a a moral capacity. A moral capacity. We have some sense of right and wrong, and that was certainly distorted by the fall. Uh, We definitely see that, 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 that we don't have a perfect sense because of our sin. But we have some sense. It's still there, even in unbelievers. And and that comes from the perfect character of God Himself. It's common grace that we would have any moral compass at all. Fourth, we have intellectual capacity. So we can think. 
We can reason. We can choose. We can weigh out two options using some sense of wisdom. Uh, Fifth, we have emotional capacity. You know that God has feelings? God, God feels, and so do we. And every emotion that you can feel can be traced to a righteous expression in God Himself. Test me on it. You can find it in the Scriptures. That God is expressing emotion. God is not some stoic God that hates emotions. And you just need to stuff it down. He's the one who created those emotions in His image. Sixth, we are created with a ruling capacity. A ruling capacity. The next verses talk about God setting man in dominion of all things. And so we can put things in order. We can create things that are beautiful. We can help others flourish. And that's the image of God. He is the king, but we are his representative rulers on the earth. And ultimately, everything about who we are that is not sin is a reflection of our Creator. Which means that we find our purpose and our calling in getting to know Him. In our day, it's, it's popular. Everyone's trying to, to find themselves, aren't they? I'm going to go find myself. Kids leave high school and they take a gap year to go find themselves. And, and listen, I don't have a problem with gap years. I do have a problem with the idea of finding yourself in that. People search for meaning and identity in their job or in their family, or in their relationships. The midlife crisis brings a new search to to find yourself when the old thing that you tried to find yourself in didn't work out. We ask, why are we here? What is my purpose and calling? What is the point of it all? And the Bible says, if you want to find yourself, don't look at yourself. Look at God. Look at God. See who He is and seek to reflect Him. Seek to live for His glory and you'll discover who He created you to be. Your story begins with finding your identity in in God who became flesh. We know Him as Jesus Christ. Your story begins by seeing that you were created in the image of God, but your sin marred that image beyond recognition. Your sin extends to every part of who you are. And that's why God had to send His Son. The Bible calls Him the image of the invisible God. The exact representation of His nature. We know Him as Jesus Christ. And God sent Him so that everyone who puts their faith in His saving work can be restored back into the image of their Creator. This summer our women had talked a lot about the image of God and they used this definition. uh, To be created in the image of God is to become increasingly Christ-like in the power of the Spirit. Colossians 3 says that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we we die with Him and we are raised with Him. And therefore, it says that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. So the thing that Jesus Christ died for, the thing that He wants to do in your life, is to move you back to that state that Adam and Eve were in before the fall. And that happens increasingly in this life and perfectly in eternity. God created everything by His Word. 
He created the setting. He created the, the heavens and the earth. He created the characters, God and mankind, in His image. Third, God created the plots. The plot. Purposeful work and rest that spreads God's glory. Purposeful work and rest that spreads God's glory. So every, every story has to have a plot of some sort, doesn't it? Like it'd be really, really boring if, if God created all this stuff and then we just kind of sat around looking at each other like, what do you want to do? I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what do you want to do. I don't know what do you want to do. Like God gave mankind responsibility in cultivating His creation. He gave them something to do. Look at verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Notice God created patterns of work and rest that were intended to spread His glory. He gave humanity responsibility and he called that responsibility, get this, he called it blessing, happiness, delight. Responsibility, work, is not the result of the fall. It is the intent of God's good design. Responsibility is blessing. Kids, remember that when your parents ask you to empty the dishwasher later today. Responsibility is blessing. Say it to yourself. Responsibility is blessing. God's blessing includes the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply. They are to take the image of God that is hardwired into their DNA and they are to spread it all over the face of the earth. And as they fill the earth and spread the glory of God, they are called to subdue it. They're to cultivate it, to Make it work for them. I think of this every time that I go back to Longwood Gardens. We have a family membership there. And I think, uh, this is what it looks like to cultivate the earth and subdue it. My backyard, not so much. Longwood Gardens, yes. My backyard, no. We're called to bring beauty out of the earth around us in a way that reflects our Creator. We're called to steward the earth that He has given us. And, and listen, I realize that those terms have been hijacked for political parties on the left and the right, that we would steward the earth. And, and I'm not thinking in political terms here. I'm thinking in terms of God's kingdom terms. That we have a responsibility that He has given us to steward everything. 
We're to steward the physical earth in which He's placed us. And as we do that work, we are to also rest in Him. We're to follow Him in the rest that He established. Now when it says that God rested, it's not like, whew, I'm tired, I need a nap, like this has been a hard week. It would be a hard week if, if it was us. No, rest is the completion. It says it over and over, He finished all of the work. He finished, He finished. Rest is the completion, the ceasing of all His work. I had an Old Testament professor who defined rest as the enjoyment of God's blessing. The enjoyment of everything that He created. He's just delighting in it, and we're, we're to, to follow Him in that. And we learn throughout the story that, that this creation account of work for six days and, and rest on the seventh is meant as a pattern for us. That God's people would set apart one day a week as holy unto the Lord. That they would focus their attention on Him there, and they would remember that, that they are not superior to the Creator who rested. And that ultimately they need Him to be the ultimate worker in their life. And they're cared for by a Creator who says, rest in me. So think about all of the responsibilities, all of the work that you are set to cultivate in your life. Think about the five spheres that we often talk about at Oak Hill. That you are an individual who is created in God's image. You have some responsibilities as an individual before God that you, that you are called to walk out. You're, you're a family member. You have some responsibilities that are based on your role as a family member. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. So you have responsibility as a member of His body, the church. You have responsibility to your neighbors and those who you serve through your workplace. You have responsibility as a citizen in the kingdoms of earth and in the kingdom of heaven. And all of that, as you think about it, may seem overwhelming, but then think about your God who is never overwhelmed. The God who spoke and created you and created the world around you and who says, trust me. Trust the saving work of my Son to make you righteous before me, to completely perform for you. Find your rest in Him and then simply walk in the good works that I lay in front of you. The patterns of work and rest that God has placed in your life is the plot of the story by which He makes you more like Jesus. It's the action in which you relate to Him and become more like Him and express His image and learn about Him and, and learn how to relate to others and fulfill His purposes. He is a working and resting God. And He created you to work hard and to rest well. And in the midst of that responsibility, He gave you human relationships that provide rich depth to your life. Which leads us to this last foundational element in the story, the drama. The drama, human relationships. Now when I say that, I don't mean it in a bad sense like, ugh, I'm just so tired of all this drama. I don't mean that. Though in a fallen world, that, that will totally happen, right? But I'm talking about the interplay between humans that makes this life rich and beautiful and interesting. 
Like even the most introverted among us would go crazy if we had to spend the rest of our lives alone. Just watch the movie Castaway. If you need an illustration of that to see what it looks like. Like, like, like that movie is the only movie, it made me so mad, it's the only movie that made me fall in love with a volleyball and cry at a volleyball. <laughs> Wilson! Anyway. We're not created to be alone. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. And notice the difference in perspective as I read here. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the man from I'm sorry. I'm sorry, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. There's that responsibility again. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept he took one of his ribs and closed it up at closed up its place, was flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we have this totally different perspective in chapter 2 that is very personal and intimate. Whereas in chapter 1, we get this very cosmic and big perspective. So so chapter 1, you can think of like the overview. Chapter 2 focuses the story of how God is creating a personal covenant relationship with Himself. And that relationship will be fulfilled in Adam, in Noah, in Abraham, in the people of Israel, and then ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so chapter 2 is helping us look at this personal relationship between God and man. 
and also the relationship between man and woman. And not just between the husband of life, husband and wife. These are the foundations of, of human relationships in every sphere. So God forms man out of the dust of the ground. That's to remind us that we're nothing special except that God made us in His image. We're not God, we are but dust. And God plants this beautiful garden for Adam. And Adam starts to fulfill his representative authority on the earth and he's given this responsibility of naming the creatures. And we see that this is because there's this great search going on for a helper suitable for Adam. God's declared his whole creation is very good at the end of chapter 1, but we run into something that's not good here. It is not good for man to be alone. And as every creature is brought before Adam, none of them are found to be a helper suitable for him. Why? The conclusion from logic is that because none of the other creatures bear the image of God like Adam does. And so God puts Adam to sleep and he fashions a woman out of Adam's rib. It's very intimate, very personal. And Adam wakes up and he's like, Whoa, man! This, this is the helper suitable! This is the one who bears the image of God like I do. And there's this perfect intimacy between them so much that they could be called one flesh and they are naked and unashamed. Husbands and wives, don't we long for that? Isn't that what Christ longs for in our marriages? Don't we sometimes feel the gap in that in our relationships? Singles, don't you still crave the relationship where you are fully known and fully loved? And I'm not saying that that has to find its end in marriage, but that God has created you for personal relationship and intimacy. And that He has a design for that. We see that God is the one who created relationship. God did not create us to be alone, but He also created the types of relationship that we have. He created man and woman as distinct. The woman is created in the image of God, but she is called his helpmate. That's not a lesser job. God is called a helper in the Scriptures. It just defines her role. And we begin to see that God is a, has a good design for relationships. And relationships work when we seek His design. Relationships work when we relate to others in the way that God intended. And, and throughout the rest of the story, we're going to see the drama of, the, of relationships unfold. We're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to get a ton more details on God's perspective for human relationships. But for now, we can simply see God created them. And He has a design for them. Which means that we need to seek His design for sexuality. We need to seek His design for spiritual intimacy. We need to seek His design for unity. We need to seek His design for love. You're going to encounter a ton of relationships this week. You're going to encounter a ton of people who are created in the image of God. Will you seek God's design for how He wants you to relate to them? Now you may be wondering, like, if God created all of this good stuff, then why is it not going so good today? 
Why is this setting of the earth falling apart with hurricane after hurricane and floods and fires and everything else? Why are humans so divided over their concept of God and, 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 and if there are just really two main characters? Why, why is work frustrating? And why does it feel like a pipe dream if that is the main plot of our lives? Why are relationships so hard and full of tension? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week as we get into Genesis chapter 3. Because next week we're going to meet one more important character, the villain of the story. And we'll be introduced to the central conflict in the story, which is man's rebellion against God, their desire to be like him, and to be at the center of the whole story. That ruined everything. But I want you to know that there's a way back to Eden. There's only one way back to Eden. The only way back to the beauty of God's original design is through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 says it this way, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile To Himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. All of creation, everything is about Jesus. All things were created by Him and through Him and for Him, including you. And He is working to reconcile all things to Himself. To bring things back to the way that they were at the beginning And one day, all things will be right because He will fully usher in His kingdom. So this week, this part of your story is just the foretaste of that later part of the story. It's just a foretaste of the redemption that is to come. Your story this week, every moment that you pass, is about Jesus. Everything that you encounter is about Jesus. Every person you talk to is created in God's image but needs redemption in Jesus. The work you perform and the ways that you rest are for the glory of Jesus. And so by faith today, I pray that you would see that your story begins with a good God who created everything by His Word. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are so magnificent. You are so holy. You are so other. And we are humbled before you as we consider that that you have all things in your control, that you are 
You've created and you're sustaining and you're upholding all things by the word of your power. We realize how much we don't have control. We realize how much we need you. We also realize how much you want us. You want our worship, you want our praise, you want our hearts, you want our love. And so I pray that you would make us in awe of you. That we would see you as the beginning and the center and the end of our story. And that this week we would live in light of who you are as creator. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.